Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with. We're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. I'll have the verses that we're going to be looking at up here on the screen. But before we dive in today, I want to let you know where all of the next few moments are headed, whether you're in this room, at another location in Loudoun or Prince William or Montgomery County, or watching online. In just a few moments, I'm going to offer two specific invitations to everyone in this gathering. First, I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus' invitation for you to experience new life and a relationship with him. And just to be clear, this invitation is for everybody, whether you've grown up in church or this is literally your first time ever in church or first time watching church online. It's an invitation for people who may have questions about God. It's an invitation for people who may feel far from God because of your past or maybe your present. It's an invitation for people who may have felt close to God at some point in your life, but that was a long time ago and a lot has happened since then. It's an invitation for some people who may even call yourself a Christian, but you know deep down in your heart you're not actually following Jesus. You're a Christian in name only. The point is this invitation is for everybody. It doesn't matter your past, your present, your personality, your age, your background. This invitation is for you to experience life in Jesus by either beginning or maybe renewing a relationship with him. If you have any question about where you stand with God, I wanna help you settle those questions today. And the second invitation is I'm gonna invite you to make a decision today to be baptized as a follower of Jesus. See, baptism is the first thing that followers of Jesus do. It's like a going public celebration, declaration that you're not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus. And I know that there are many people today here and at other locations online who have not taken that step for a variety of reasons. Maybe because you've yet to become a follower of Jesus or maybe because you either became a follower of Jesus recently or maybe even many years ago, but for whatever reason, you've not done this yet. And there have been times in the past here at NBC when we've baptized people on the spot, provided clothes, everything you need right here in this moment. We've stopped doing that since COVID hit, and as cases have been increasing with this variant, we're not quite ready to resume that. But that doesn't mean you can't put a stake in the ground today and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus, or it's time for me to be baptized. And at the end of this gathering, I'm gonna share with you how you can do either or both of these things. But with that picture of where we're going, let me start with introducing you to a few people. Joe was in high school when someone first invited him to NBC. And as a teenager, he was at that time experimenting with drugs and struggling with depression. Similarly, Gabe, the first time he ever came 
to NBC just one week before he had overdosed and almost died. Devani is from Guyana. She grew up in a Hindu home until she moved out of her house, and one day a friend invited her to church for the first time. Juan, likewise, had been involved in church for a time until he decided that a relationship with God was fine for his wife and his kids, but not for him, and he left. Colleen grew up in church only to totally turn her back, not just on church, but on anything associated with God. Sheila stayed in church, but she was constantly afraid of God thinking she needed to do as much good as she could to appease him, but she never felt good enough. Every time she was in church, she felt like a failure. Michael would say that success and adventure were his idols. He lived to get what he wanted according to how he thought and what he felt. Carla grew up in South Africa and moved here in pursuit of happiness in the American dream. Christina was angry with God. In her words, she was lost in hopelessness and depression, and she eventually tried to take her own life. Nathan similarly said, my life was a mess. Alice, who grew up in children's ministry here, heard about God's love for her week after week after week, not just from her parents, but for people in this church. And then there's Sabrina, whose special needs left her feeling different and unaccepted by those around her. And finally, there's Kevin, who would describe his journey as one of debilitating anxiety. So what does this entire list of people have in common? One day, Each one of them encountered Jesus, and he totally changed their lives. In this world and for all of eternity, when they made the decision that I'm inviting people all across this gathering to make today, which leads to the question, what is it about Jesus that has the power to change everything about your life in this world and for all of eternity? And that's the question I want to answer in the next few minutes. So today we're beginning a journey as a church through the book, a book of the Bible written by a guy named Mark, who under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit recorded one of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life. And today I want us to hear and see his breathtaking, mind-blowing, life-changing introduction to Jesus. Read along with me as I start in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. 
And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open, being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Oh, there is so much in what we just read. And here's how I want to summarize it. I want to show you 20 pictures of Jesus we see here. And don't get worried that we're going to be here all day. We're going to go pretty quick. But I've been asked many times by non-Christian friends of mine, what makes Jesus unique or different? in any way superior to any other religious teacher in the world. Isn't Jesus just one among many? And I want to show you in a few short minutes that there is no one, no one like Jesus. And that he alone has the power to change everything about your life. And I would encourage you to maybe even write these down so you can think about them later. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I'd encourage you to write them down so you can give them as an answer to everyone who asks you, what's unique about Jesus? Why is he worth following with your life? What would you say? Here's what I would say based on Mark chapter 1, starting in the very first verse. One, Jesus is the center of all history. So this whole book of the Bible, the book of Mark, starts with the beginning which is the exact same word that starts the entire Bible in the beginning, going all the way back to the beginning of history to show that all of history from the start has been pointing forward to Jesus. And since then, everything points back to him. We base our calendars, our understanding of years around the life of Jesus. And from the start of the book of Mark, We are seeing this is the right way to look at history with Jesus at the center of it all. You are not at the center of history. I am not at the center of history. Our generation is not at the center of history. The United States of America is not at the center of history. Throughout history, billions of people have come and billions of people have gone. Empires have come and empires have gone. Countries, nations, kings, queens, presidents, dictators, rulers have come and gone. And at the center of it all stands one man, Jesus Christ. And he's not just the center of all history. He's the source of the greatest news in the world. The beginning of the gospel. That word literally means good news. Throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, this word was used to describe a herald bringing news of victory in battle or deliverance from enemies. Then in Luke's account of Jesus' life, 
Jesus starts by standing up at the temple. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 61 to describe the purpose for his coming. Listen to what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim, there it is, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has sent me to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Ah. This is what the good news is. In the midst of a fallen world marked by poverty, captivity, blindness, and oppression, Jesus says, I have good news. And what's that good news? Your poverty is not the end. Your captivity is not the end. Your blindness is not the end. And your oppression is not the end. The good news is ultimate liberty is coming. Eternal sight is coming. Forever freedom can be yours. That's good news. And how is that possible? Truth number three. Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sin and the judgment we deserve. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says his name is Jesus. You know what his name means? Literally means the Lord saves. In Matthew's account of Jesus' life, God tells Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And there is no one else who can do this. Listen really closely here, particularly if you are new to church or not yet a Christian, because this is the big picture story of the Bible. We have all been created by God, formed and fashioned by God himself, yet we have all sinned against God. It looks different in each of our lives, but we've all turned aside from God's ways to our own ways, and our sin separates us from God in such a way that if we die in this state of separation from God, we will spend eternity separated from God in judgment that we deserve in our sin. But the gospel, the good news of the Bible is that God has made a way for our salvation. The good news is God saves Through Jesus, who came to pay the price for our sin on a cross and to rise from the grave in victory over sin. He's the only one who can do, has done that. Think about it. You can't save yourself from your sin. I can't save myself. Like Sheila, who I mentioned earlier, no matter how much good we try to do, we can't cover up the fact that we have sinned against God. And look around you in a world of sinners. Who is going to save you from your sin before God? Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sin and the judgment we deserve. And number four, Jesus is the only one who can bring us the hope, joy, and love we desire. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It means the Messiah It's a reference to all the times in the Old Testament before this amidst evil kings who had led God's people in evil ways. Over and over, God had said, one day the Messiah will come, the one you've been waiting for, and he will bring perfect hope and joy and love like you've been longing for. And as Mark is introducing Jesus, this first verse is announcing he is here. He's the Son of God. This is the fifth and sixth picture. Jesus is fully divine, and Jesus is fully human. 
It's what it means for him to be the son of God. We don't have time to dive in depth here, but when the Bible talks about Jesus as the son of God, it's not a reference to a biological son, like I might think of sons in my house. Instead, it's a reference to how Jesus is the same nature as God. Hebrews chapter one, verses two and three, talk about how God has spoken to us by his son, who is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is fully divine and at the same time fully human, like you and me. Jesus is literally God in the flesh, unlike anyone else who has ever lived. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Moving on to Mark chapter 1, verse 2, number 7. Jesus is proof that God keeps his promises. Mark immediately starts quoting from Isaiah the prophet in one of over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament of the Bible written over hundreds of years before that are fulfilled in detail in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Mark is making clear from the very beginning that God keeps all of his promises and that his promises ultimately find fulfillment in Jesus, who, number eight, possesses all power. So John the Baptist, who we'll talk more about in a minute, describes Jesus as mightier than I. I love that phrase. A reference to the might and the power and the authority that belong to the one who we will see in the coming weeks in the book of Mark, the one who speaks and demons flee. The one who speaks and diseases disappear. Jesus speaks and storms stop. Jesus speaks and the dead come to life. He possesses all power. There is no one who possesses power like Jesus. Then watch this. In verse 9, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. What a picture. Number 9, Jesus comes to meet you where you are. Jesus doesn't start in Jerusalem, which is where people would have expected. It was the center of the worship life of God's people. Instead, Jesus comes out to the wilderness. Are you getting the picture here? Jesus is not a picture of God distant from us. Jesus is a picture of God with us, coming to us where we are, not waiting for us to figure out how to get to him. Number 10, Jesus comes to show you how to live. The whole reason he's being baptized here is to identify himself with those who will follow him. Jesus doesn't call people to do that which he is not willing to do himself. So he's baptized by John, and as soon as he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, they're torn open, and God's Spirit descends on him like a dove, biblical imagery of peace. It takes us all the way back again to Genesis chapter 8, when a dove flies over the earth after the flood as a picture of God's peace in a world of turmoil. So picture number 11, Jesus brings complete peace and a world of war and conflict and crises and con and tensions and pain and pandemics jesus brings peace number 12 jesus is filled with god the spirit and number 13 jesus is loved by god the father again that's part of the imagery of jesus being called god's son it reflects the relationship between god the father and god the son marked by perfect love i think about coaching one son in football yesterday Watching the other son play tackle, football Friday night, almost got an interception. Another running cross country, getting his best time, all while waiting for another son on the 
other side of the world. I love my sons and my daughters so much, but my love is still imperfect. What a picture of perfect love between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. Which leads to number 14. Jesus is familiar with temptation. He's immediately led out by God's Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted. Again, Jesus is like us. There is no temptation at the core that you face or I face that Jesus did not also face. And sure, Jesus wasn't ever tempted to do something sinful on a cell phone or social media or any other things we might associate with our lives, but absolutely Jesus was just as tempted to look at, think about, participate in, or desire things that were not good. And that story sets the stage for the rest of Jesus' life to show us that Jesus is the only one who can completely resist sin. In the words of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, in every respect, respect, Jesus has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Who else do you know who has or can completely resist sin? No one. And number 16, Jesus is the only one who can ultimately defeat Satan, the author of sin, which leads to death. Again, can you defeat sin and death? When you die, can you choose to raise yourself from the grave? Then after that, can you cast Satan, the devil himself, down into eternal judgment? Who else in history can do this? No one. There is no one like Jesus. Number 17, we're almost there. These last four are so good. Number 17, Jesus is familiar with suffering. Isn't it interesting that Mark's point out that Jesus was with the wild animals? What's that about? Well, Mark was writing to predominantly... Gentile Christians in the first century who were being persecuted at that time by Nero, the Roman emperor. One historian wrote of Nero's savagery toward Christians saying, they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and torn to pieces by dogs. So Mark includes this phrase as if to remind these early Christians that Jesus too was familiar with suffering, eventually to the point of death on a cross in love for them. And while those of us in this gathering today are not experiencing persecution like that, many in this gathering are walking through difficult, hard days. And the Bible makes clear from the very beginning that Jesus knows what those days entail. He is familiar with suffering, which leads right into number 18, Jesus brings hope for all people in all nations. Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news. Again, his ministry not starting in Jerusalem, but in Galilee. It's actually called Galilee of the Gentiles. So it's a place where Jews and Gentiles would have lived side by side. And Jesus comes proclaiming good news, not just for one type of person in one place, like many Jewish people would have been expecting, but for all types of people in all places. There is no person or no place in the world beyond the hope of Jesus. For number 19, he is the king who reigns over all things. The kingdom of God is at hand. Translation, the king has come. The one who's ushering in an eternal kingdom. 
Earthly kingdoms come and earthly kingdoms go. Countries come and countries go. It was the Roman Empire in the first century that is no more in the 21st century. So let's not be so arrogant as to think that any earthly kingdom or country today, including the United States of America, is going to last. One day, every earthly kingdom and country will fall, and one kingdom will remain, led by the king who reigns over all things, which leads to our last, maybe most breathtaking picture of Jesus in Mark 1, number 20. Jesus invites you into a relationship with Did you hear that? Jesus invites you into a relationship with him. And just in case that's not taking your breath away right now, just in case that's not knocking you out of your seat, let me put it all together. The center of all history and the source of the greatest news in all the world, the fully human, fully divine one who can save you from your sin and rescue you from eternal judgment who can bring you all the hope and joy and love you desire, the one who possesses all power and keeps all promises, the one who's filled with God the Spirit and loved by God the Father, who has defeated sin and will destroy Satan, the one who is familiar with all suffering and temptation, who brings hope for people in all nations, the king who reigns over all things in all the universe. This one has invited you right where you are sitting into a relationship with him. So what are you going to do with that? And here's what Mark 1 is calling you and me, all of us, to do. It's time to, three words, repent, believe, and be baptized. Repent, believe, and be baptized. Repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus says. Let's think about that. Repent means to make a change in your mind in your heart, in your life, to decide that you're going to turn. That's what it means to repent, to turn from two things. One, to turn from your sin, to confess your sin to God, how you have turned aside from his ways, to confess your need for his forgiveness, and to turn from yourself, including all of your attempts to save and satisfy yourself. To repent is to say to God, I need you. This is humility before God. This is laying aside your pride. In a world that says at every turn, promote yourself, advance yourself, this is Jesus saying, die to yourself. Repent and believe. In other words, trust. Trust in Jesus as the Savior of your life. Believe the good news. Notice, it's not work in this way or that way. Follow these rules, regulations. It's believe in your heart that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. He's risen from the grave. He has defeated sin and death so that you can have eternal life. Believe this. Believe Trust in Jesus as the Savior of your life and as the Lord over all, including your life. It's not possible to be a true Christian in name only. If you are following this Jesus, it changes everything about your life, which is the symbolism we see all over Mark chapter 1 when it comes to baptism. The act of baptism here in Mark 1 and all over the Bible 
The word literally means submerge, immersion, to be immersed in water and to come out in a symbolic picture of the life change Jesus brings. To be baptized is a symbolic picture. It's not that these things happen when you do this by somehow earning these things, but it's a picture of what happens in your heart when you repent and believe and you are baptized. It's a picture of you going from being dirty to clean. That's part of the picture of being washed in water. To think that through faith in Jesus, you can be clean from all your sin. Symbolized in baptism that illustrates going from guilty to forgiven. That's why Mark 1.4 describes a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All who repent and believe in the gospel are totally forgiven of all their sins before a holy God. They've gone from old to new. The whole picture in Mark 1 is Jesus bringing the beginning of new life for all who trust in him. And ultimately... Baptism symbolizes going from death to life, from being spiritually dead in sin to being spiritually alive in Jesus. And ultimately knowing that one day when you physically die, you will not experience everlasting judgment for your sin. You will experience everlasting joy with God through Jesus. I ask you then today, every single one of you, right where you are sitting, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven to experience everlasting joy in the presence of God? And if you are at, in any way at all depending on yourself in any way to get to heaven, you are missing the point. The only way to eternal life with God now and forever is through repenting and believing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And baptism is a reflection of that reality in your heart. So I bring you back to the people I introduced you to earlier, people just like you whose lives have been totally changed by Jesus when they repented, believed the gospel. And in a, as a picture of that, we're baptized. I picture Joe, the high schooler struggling with depression and experimenting with drugs who couldn't contain tears of joy when he rose out of that water, symbolizing his new life in Jesus. A similar expression on Gabe's face, a week removed from overdosing, Praising God for new eternal life. And by the way, Gabe is now intentionally training to help others who are walking through similar struggles. Devani, formerly Hindu from Guyana, said it took just two times hearing this gospel in this church before she gave her life to Jesus. He made her a new person. She hasn't looked back since. Colleen, who turned her back on God for years, said right before she was baptized, although I gave up on God, he never gave up on me. Jesus met me at my darkest hour and he gave me life. After decades away from church, Juan returned to Jesus, found his family waiting for him in the church where he was baptized. And he now comes not just with his children, but his grandchildren to worship Jesus together. Sheila, constantly afraid of God, 
said on the day she was baptized, I realize salvation is a gift of God's grace. I put all my faith in Jesus, and now I can't wait for the day when I will see his face. When Michael was baptized, he shared how he has found life in Jesus that far eclipses the idols of success and adventure in this world. Carla literally just about jumped out of the pool when she came out of the water, saying in her South African accent that I so wish I could imitate, Jesus met me at my lowest point and his grace rewrote my story. Christina, once lost in hopelessness and depression to the point where she eventually tried to take her own life, said, my life today is a testimony of Jesus' victory over the grave. Then she started preaching, saying, if you're here today and you feel you've lost all hope, the breath in your lungs is evidence in your life that you have meaning and value. Jesus cares for you and he will fight for you if you will only trust in him. Nathan, who said his life was a mess, said, on the best day of my life, though, I read about God's love through Jesus in John 3.16, and he changed everything. Alice, hearing this week after week as a child in this church, being baptized, and she said, God is powerful and mighty, and I know he will never fail me. Sabrina, with her special needs, said, I learned in Friendship Club that God loves me and made me special, and I can trust in Jesus with who he has made me to be. And finally, Kevin amidst debilitating anxiety, said on the day he was baptized, I hit a wall and Jesus opened the door for me. I continue to have struggles, but I have found Jesus to be a source of absolute peace in the middle of them. Some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking, this story or that story sounds like mine, and I hope you are hearing loud and clear in your heart right now that Jesus didn't just do this for them. Jesus will do this for you. Others of you may be thinking, well, I don't, I don't have some of the problems that some of these people may have. Maybe I don't need Jesus. And if that thought is anywhere close to your mind, I want to encourage you with everything in me today. Don't miss the point. We all have problems, namely an infinitely serious sin problem before a holy God that separates us from him for which we deserve eternal judgment. And God has made the way for that problem to be solved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you repent and believe in him as Savior and Lord, God will forgive you of all your sin and give you new eternal life in him. So, I told you, I have two invitations for you today. Invitation number one is for you to receive new life in Jesus. I ask you, I wish I could sit down with every single person, just look you in the eye and ask you, wherever you're sitting right now, have you trusted in Jesus as your life? Such that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, you would Live forever with God. And so many people are banking their eternity on a I think so, or I hope so, or I think I'm a pretty good person and my good outweighs my bad, but that is not what determines your eternity. The determining question is do you believe? Do you trust in Jesus? Again, this may be your first time in church, or you may have grown up in church. 
Maybe even called yourself a Christian, but truth be told, if you were to stand before God right now, it would be clear that Jesus is not your life. And for many of you, you have all kinds of excuses for not making Jesus your life. You say, I've still got questions. That's great. Today, you can start to get them answered. Begin that conversation now. Others say, I'll do this later, but I want to warn you today, there may not be a later. Can I just say as plainly as possible, none of us in this gathering is guaranteed tomorrow. You or I could die at any moment on your way home, in your home, this opportunity will be gone forever. And even if you live for many years, you don't want to harden your heart toward God to hear the voice of God's Spirit speaking to you like He is right now, and you say, maybe later, but you actually never come back to this moment. I say to some of you, today could be your last opportunity. Today is the day. Don't make excuses. Today's excuses will be tomorrow's regrets. Five minutes into eternity, what are you going to be glad that you held on to that kept you from Jesus? The first invitation is for you to receive new life, eternal life, starting today in Jesus. And then the second invitation is for you to decide today to be baptized as a follower of Jesus. And again, people make all kinds of excuses here. Some of them the same. You say, I'm going to wait until this or that, or I'm not ready. When the reality is if you have trusted in Jesus, you are ready, and it's time. Some of you have been saying for years, baptism is not really that important. It doesn't make a big difference when or whether I'm baptized. Are you serious? What are you saying about Jesus every day? if you are ignoring the very first thing he calls his followers to do. Are you actually following Jesus? Here's the deal. When it comes down to it, the question is, do you trust in Jesus as your life or not? That's the question. And this is a defining moment. Today, a defining day for you to do what God is inviting you to do. Two invitations. It's time to respond. So let me invite you to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed and eye closed, just to focus between you and God, right where you are sitting. I want to ask you, just between you and God, first and foremost, is Jesus your life? Is Jesus your life? Not an add-on to your life. Is he your life? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, then I want to invite you, right where you're sitting right now, to pray to him. Just say in your heart, God, I want and I need Jesus to be my life. I know I have sin in my life. Just say this to God that separates me from you. And today, I'm placing my faith in Jesus as the one who died for my sin and rose from the grave. There is no one like him. And today, I trust in Jesus as Lord of my life, now and forever.
And with our heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that, if you just expressed that to God in your heart, then I want to ask you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand here in this room, other locations online? Amen. Amen. I know I can't see everybody. That's not the point. Though. This is before God. Just if you would say, I'm putting my trust in Jesus is my life today. As you raise your hand, I just want to pray for you. God, I pray for all these hands. The ones I see, the ones I can't. I praise you, Jesus, for saving them, for giving them eternal life with you. I pray that you would give them the courage to do what I'm about to invite them and others to do next. As you put your hands down, here's the second invitation. Maybe you just prayed that to God. And today, the day you're going to make a step now towards celebrating life in Jesus through baptism. Or maybe you're already a Christian. Where before you came in today, but you've not been baptized since deciding to follow Jesus. And God's Spirit is clearly saying to you today, it's time to make that decision. So I want to pray for you. And as soon as I say amen at all of our locations as well as online, you'll get instructions about how you can take that step toward baptism today. God, I pray that you would give people courage in this moment to unashamedly say, Jesus is my life through baptism, to celebrate the reality that there is no one like you, the specific way in which you, Jesus, have transformed our lives. Lord, we praise you for the way you save us and even for that privilege, what a privilege to be able to stand and be able to share your story of what you've done by your grace in our hearts and to be immersed in water and brought back up as a picture that we have gone from being dirty to being clean, from being guilty to being forgiven, from an old life to a new life in you, with you, that we have gone from death to life. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.